Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this podcast intro at 12.19, just after midnight on Sunday night slash Monday morning. And today was a really great day at church. We kicked off our series on Genesis, which I am really excited about. We are going to nerd out and Hannah is going to be doing a lot of teaching over the next several weeks. And today uh, was just the beginning. We are actually calling this episode the Genesis of Genesis. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, The type of stuff that we are going to talk about in this series, a lot of it is like kind of the reason why we exist as a church. It's because we wanted to provide a place for people who... um, approach scripture a little differently than most, um, American evangelical places. Um, and so we're going to talk through that in the next several weeks. I hope you, you join us. Uh, speaking of joining us, uh, man, we had a really full room today. We had a bunch of visitors. It felt really cool to see everybody there. So thank you to everyone who came out and thank you to all of you listening at home, watching online, uh, checking out the podcast. It just means so much that you would be interested in what we are doing. Okay. I want to tell you about a couple things. Number one, uh, grab your phone, um, go to diff.church and we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can sign up for the mailing list while you're there. Um, if you click on the I'm new tab, Uh, You can kind of fill out a little form that, um, you know, you can tell us what you'd like like to see more of, less of. You can um, tell us how you heard about us. Uh, All that stuff is super helpful. Um, And also at diff.church is an events tab. We've got two events coming up, and we would love for you to come to both of them. On the 18th, we are doing a beach day. And on the 25th, we are going to the Zubrick Magic Theater. Um, Chris and Ryan Zubrick are uh, members of our church, and they just opened a magic theater, and we are going to go support them on the 25th. So if you click through on our site, it'll take you to their site, and from there you can purchase tickets, and it's going to be an awesome time. Okay, um, let's hear a song. Uh, The band was really amazing today. Um, We're going to hear a song here by Tori Kelly called Never Alone. Uh, After that, we are going to jump into the message with Hannah, the Genesis of Genesis. In my time, I've traveled some roads, a rolling stone, nowhere seems like home. I see people come and they go, life is just a story of some highs and some lows. Tell me, do you believe in miracles? Standing here before you. Serial things In your light I never 
Everybody give it up for the best darn church band in all the land. Uh, they are awesome. Come join us this Sunday because we're going to try something interesting. We're going to have a guy playing harp with the band, which I've never seen before, but uh, I hear that it's going to be incredible. Okay, um, let's jump to Hannah with the message. Again, this is the genesis of Genesis. But before she starts going, she has two things to tell you. One is something we are excited about, celebrating, and one is something we need help with. We, if you're new around here, have an honesty policy, so we just like tell you whatever's going on at Diff Church. Good, bad, medium, doesn't matter. We'll tell you everything. So the first thing is, if we, any donations that come in, we take 10% of it and we put it back into our community immediately. Um, we kind of save it up for a little while and then we donate to local nonprofits and people that need help. So we made some donations recently. We donated $1,000 to the Pinellas Education Fund and their Stuff the Bus project. So that is to help children in Pinellas County who can't afford school supplies or may not be able to afford the school supplies that they need. And it gives them backpacks and school supplies and all kinds of things. Um, so we are really excited to support that, especially with school starting. And then we also donated $250 to Project MAR, which is a local organization that supports artists. And... Um, I don't know where David Heather went, but they own the Mar Theater, which is right there, and we love them, and they've been part of Dick Church for a long time. They were some of the first people who even knew this was going to happen, which is exciting. So we love to support them as well. So yay, that's only possible because you guys made that possible. The second thing is, um, if you like babies, we need to help in the nursery. So um, our... We've had a few longtime volunteers in our nursery. We try to make people not volunteer more than one time a month. We don't want to burn anybody out. A lot of us come from cultures in church where it's like, you are going to show up at church every single Sunday at the crack of dawn and stay there until you die. <laughs> and we don't want to do that to anyone, but several of our longtime volunteers, because of health issues or because of their work schedules, are not able to volunteer right now in the nursery. So if you like babies, come find me. We could really use your help one Sunday a month. Um, our nursery is for up to four years old right now. Um, and Amber is our head of the nursery. She's in there today. You do have to be background checked. It's a really easy online process, unless of course you're a murderer, which I hope you're not. <laughs> it's literally like an email and you fill it out and then it gives me a ping and it's like, clear. I've never had anyone come back and be like, warning, this person is terrible. One person came back and it was like, please consider. So I looked into it and then they had a traffic ticket. And I was like, hmm, I don't really think that affects their ability to snuggle babies, but maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. Now, I'm so excited this morning. I've had oh, caffeine. <laughs> I'm trying to calm down a little bit because I feel like I'll, I have a lot of energy because we're talking about Genesis, which I have been wanting to do since we started Different Church. We're having a whole series on Genesis, which we don't normally do series. We just normally, like, I get up here and I talk to you, um, which is the same thing that I'm doing except for several weeks, the same topic. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and I think it's the most controversial, misunderstood, misinterpreted book. The only other book that possibly rivals it is Revelation, and we are going to talk about it, and this is exactly why we exist as a church. We like the hard questions that typically just get ignored or glossed over in a typical church setting. So if you want to dig deeper and do your own study, I'm putting my professor hat on. It's my favorite hat to wear. <laughs> but if you are kind of, you like to dig into that stuff, I have two recommendations for you. A lot of what I will be talking about comes from Genesis for Normal People and the Evolution of Adam, which are academic works 
by Pete Enns and Jared Bias. Okay. Everybody put your seatbelts on. Because Genesis is a wild ride. So keep all hands, arms, legs, and your emotions inside the moving vehicle at all times. Even if this makes you feel some kind of way. Okay? M most of the most known Bible stories come from Genesis. Like, we have stories about how the world came to exist. We have, obviously, Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat. We have Noah, crazy Noah, in his football-sized ark. We have Adam and Eve and the snake, which any first-year overzealous seminary student will call a serpent, as if that matters. <laughs> Genesis is complicated and all over the place, and there's a reason it's one of the most controversial books in the Bible. So what do we do? Like, where do we even begin? Because the content is so foreign to most of us that sometimes we just give up before we even start or we just read the stories with like this vague sense of horror and general confusion. So this is where we're gonna start. Genesis is an ancient story. And you might be like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> You're allowed to roll your eyes, it's fine. But this is the most important thing to remember about Genesis before we even start. Remembering that Genesis is an ancient story will show us how to approach its words and what we should expect from them. Depending on your past exposure to the Bible, you may approach Genesis expecting to find a detailed account of history and science, like it's a textbook. I'm calling it a story. Now, just because I call it a story, that doesn't necessarily say anything about its validity, right? Like, any book about the Cold War is as much a story as Moby Dick. But Genesis is not a textbook. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. It's also not a book of principles meant to teach us something about our life. Some of these stories in Genesis are downright horrifying. And if you were to take those as guides for how to live your life, that might produce some disastrous results. But also, you can't approach Genesis like asking this question every five minutes. What does it mean for me? Like, imagine if you were watching Star Wars, and then you just paused it every five minutes, and you were like, but what does this mean for me? What? That's not the point. <laughs> stories, like epic stories, they do apply to our lives, right? But not in these abstract principles that we can be like, well, the story of creation means this, and it applies to my life in this way, and therefore, no. We have to read Genesis for what it is, which is an ancient story written to specific people at a specific time in their history. So ancient, that's number one. Number two is Genesis is not a standalone book. We read it like a standalone book, but it's actually one in a five-part series. Imagine if someone was going on and on about how much they loved some kind of epic TV show like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, and then you'd ask them questions, and they were like, oh yeah, I've only seen the first four episodes. Well, they don't know what the whole story is, right? The story only makes sense if you see it in light of the middle and the end. I'm, I'm guilty of only watching a few episodes of each of those shows. Not my bag, I'm, a, I'm kind of a nerd, but when they killed my favorite character at the end of the first season of Game of Thrones, I was like, oh, well, I'm not down for that. I don't need to have my emotions toyed with every season. So, you know, peace out. I'll keep watching Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> if you want to think about Genesis, we're gonna remember that it's one in a five-part series. So the series is called the Pentateuch. That is a Greek word meaning the five scrolls. Once upon a time, all books came in rolls. Uh, there's, they were handwritten, and there's literally no way you could find your place if you left off in the middle. 
just had to start at the beginning again, or unroll a sheet of paper as long as this room, possibly longer. It contains the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch is old. Old, like super old, okay? The Israelites called the Pentateuch the Torah, which comes from the Hebrew word meaning law or instruction. And just like any good movie, the title is giving us a hint as to what it's about. It's not called the Torah or law because there's a lot of tedious thou shalts and thou shalt nots. There are a lot of them. Some of them are normal. Some of them are super weird. And if you read them, you're just going to have to take them in stride or skip them like you've been doing. <laughs> These five books are called the Torah because the climactic moment of the entire series is when the Israelites are camped out at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up to meet God and God gives the law, the instructions to Moses. This takes up more than half of the five books. It's the central theme of the whole story is these instructions that God gives. They find out who they are as God's people and how to maintain a life-giving relationship with God in the promised land. The central message of the entire five books is that Yahweh and nobody else is to be worshiped. Worshiping other gods in the ancient world is like as easy as picking a restaurant is today. We'd be like, oh, which God do I feel like today? Every house, every city, every nation, they had their own list of like, here's our recommended gods. Are you feeling you like have a pain in your knee? Here's seven gods you can pray to. So easy to pick other gods to worship. And the whole point of these five books is you get one. One God to be loyal to, and that's Yahweh. Why? For two reasons, because God is the creator of the world and the savior of Israel. These two themes come up over and over and over. So Genesis sets the stage for the whole five books by focusing on number one, God is the creator, and hinting at number two. And the other four books focus on number two, God is the savior of Israel. The third thing we have to remember about Genesis is, again, that it's ancient. It's easier to understand what you're reading if you know when it was written and to whom. Right? So here's an example. Did anyone have to read in school George Orwell's Animal Farm? Y'all lying. I know more of you had to read it than three people. How about Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451? Mm-hmm. Okay. Knowing when these stories were written helps us better understand what they are. So George, Animal Farm might be just a weird, disturbing story about power-hungry animals. Fahrenheit 451 might be just a disturbing story about burning books if we don't know when they were written and why. So Animal Farm is a critique of Stalin's oppressive communist regime, and it was written in 1945. Fahrenheit 451 is a critique of the communist witch hunt put on by Joseph McCarthy, and it was written in 1953. These stories have much deeper meaning than just weird animals taking over a farm. And we, if we don't catch that, we miss the whole point of the book, right? We're just reading a couple of stories that are kind of weird, but we're missing the actually much more serious and troubling intention behind the stories. And the same thing is true of Genesis. Just because Genesis is in the Bible does not mean we can read it any old way we please. And it definitely doesn't mean that it was written for us. Like someone was writing down Genesis like, wow, in several thousand years, there's going to be a bunch of people living in America, and they're going to be like, was creation really six literal days? We should write this so that they don't have any questions. 
No. It was written a long, long time ago in a place so different from this that it might as well be a galaxy far, far away. And it was written in a language that is dead. Modern-day Israelis speak a completely different type of Hebrew. So the words that were used don't exist. The place that was written about, I mean, it exists, but not really anymore. It's completely different. So then we're like, okay, well, how old is Genesis? Like, if we can just pinpoint this, it will help us. Well, um, here we run into a problem. As with almost every piece of ancient literature, it's an anonymous book. This offends our sensibilities with our ISBN numbers and our title pages. There's no title page. There is no author's name. There's no publication date. There's no like dedication at the beginning where the author's like, I just want to thank my kids for putting up with me while I slaved away long hours writing this epic tale. No, nothing. Prevailing wisdom is like, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the Torah, because he's the main character. That's a bit ridiculous, okay? First of all, it records Moses' death. It says Moses died and he was buried, and to this day, no one knows where he was buried. Would be an odd thing for someone to write about themselves. It also says Moses is the most humble person on the earth, which would be a ridiculous thing for a humble person to write about themselves. But other than those two things, right, the whole thing reads like something has happened a long time ago. It's written in third person. It's talked about with like this view. And as we get into it over the next couple weeks, there's all these things that didn't exist at the time the stories happened. So the stories are set a long time ago, and they have these themes in them that didn't exist until hundreds and hundreds of years later. Historical biblical scholars tend to agree that the first five books of the Bible, as we know them, didn't come together until sometime after 538 BCE. It's about 2,500 years ago. The problem with that is, that's approximately 700 to 1,000 years after Moses would have lived. Which does kind of defeat the purpose of saying he wrote it. He lived for 1,000 years and then he wrote his story. And we're so blessed today to be able to read it. 539 BCE was a big deal for the Israelites. That's when the Persian king Cyrus defeated the Babylonians, thus releasing all these Israelites who had been forcibly deported. They were living in another place, and they finally got to go home after spending 57 years in Babylon. This is not to say that the entire five books, including Genesis, were written from scratch in 539 BCE. There were certainly some older traditions, like oral traditions. There were a few things written down, but it was only after the Israelites returned back to their homeland that these old writings and traditions were compiled and edited in the way we have them right now. So these writings should be viewed more as a remix that takes samples of other works and puts them together to make a fresh, cohesive story. And even more specifically, this is for Genesis, because a lot of scholars feel that Israel's story as a nation began to be kind of kept and written down around the time of King David, which was several hundred years before Babylon took over still at least 500 years after Moses lived. And they looked around, and they were like, well, we have a king, we have a nation. Somebody should be keeping track of some stuff. We should have some records, right? <laughs> Where the kings have records, they have to have, how are you going to figure out who's paying taxes if we don't have records? So they started to write a few things down. And then their story goes into hyperspeed in 586 BC because Babylon comes in, they destroy the city, they tear down the walls, they burn down the temple, and they forcibly deport most of the Israelites. 
And they looked around and they were like, man, everything sucks. No king, no land, no temple. What even are we as a country without this? Where was Yahweh? Does God even care? Are we still God's people? The Old Testament, and this is something to kind of remember whenever you're reading it, it, the whole thing was created in light of a national trauma, which was the forcible deportation of the majority of the population. And it was written specifically to encourage faithfulness to God. The Torah tells us how the Israelites got their start and how God stuck by them. And it tells us how they got into this mess because they weren't faithful to a God who was faithful to them. It's basically Israel's constitution these first five books. It's quite a long constitution. I mean, our constitution is long, but not that long. It says, this is who we are, this is what we believe, and this is what our God is like. So let's take like a 30,000 foot view of Genesis. Genesis is 50 chapters long. It takes us all the way from the creation of the universe to Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. Now, remember, chapters did not exist when Genesis was written. Neither did verse numbers. Books came on rolls. Monks added chapter and verse designations like way, way, way later and bliss. <laughs> but it wasn't written that way. So instead of chapters, like how can you keep your place? How do you know when Genesis is moving from section to section? There are 10 sections in Genesis and they all start with some variation of this is the line of. This is the account of. These are the descendants of. Six of these sections are found in chapters 1 through 11. Four of them are in chapters 12 through 50. I'm going to tell you the 10 sections. You don't have to remember them. I'm just telling you because I find them interesting because I'm a nerd. So Genesis 2-4, the heavens and the earth. Everyone's pretty familiar with that one. Then we have Genesis 5-1, the line of Adam and Eve, all their kids. Then we have 6-9, the line of Noah, weird art guy. We will talk later about how weird he was. Genesis 10, the line of Noah's sons. Genesis 11, the line of Shem, one specific son of Noah. Genesis 11:27, the line of Terah, who is father Abraham's father. Genesis 25, the line of Ishmael, which is Abraham's son by the slave woman Hagar. And then we have Genesis 25:19, the line of Isaac, which is his son by his wife Sarah. And we have Esau, which is Isaac's oldest son. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph at the end. Genesis 36, the line of Esau. That's Isaac's oldest kid. And Genesis 37, the line of Jacob, Isaac's younger son. So it's the beginning of Israel's story, and it moves us all the way from Adam to Jacob and his 12 sons, who will become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's telling a story from the Genesis, from the beginning, to how did Israel come to be? Where are our ancestors? Who are they? How are, where are they from? The first 11 chapters of Genesis tells the story of the creation of the cosmos, Adam and Eve, their two kids, Cain and Abel. And of course, there's immediately a murder in the Bible. <laughs> of course. Uh, Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel. And it wouldn't be the Old Testament without a slightly tedious list of genealogies and nations, typically that we sleep through. I don't know, like, I guess if you're an ancient person, you're like, well... These genealogies, it's my, that's what I wake up for in the morning. A long line of ancestors <laughs> written down. We skip those, but it was very meaningful to people. It's the opening sequence, these first 11 chapters. It's like coming out of the gate strong, meant to grab our attention. 
and keep our attention so that we stick around for chapters 12 through 50, where there's a story of one guy, Abraham, turning into an entire people group, Israel. And Abraham gets called by God and promised two things, people and land. People and land, people and land, people and land. That's the last thing you need to remember about Genesis. Genesis is all about Israel as the recipient of God's promise of people and land. You might be shocked if you read Genesis how often the themes of land and people show up and the struggle between Israel and God over the land and people. You guys can come back up. There's a struggle at every point in this story. Creation seems to be a struggle. Adam and Eve, struggle. Cain and Abel, murder. <laughs> it's quite a big struggle. N Noah, Abraham, his kids, siblings especially seem to struggle a lot. Like Jacob actually literally wrestles with God. And his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, which means to struggle. So the name of the nation of Israel means to struggle. The whole theme of these first five books, and Genesis specifically, is the struggle of a people group and God, which is exactly what we might expect from a story written by exiled Israelites who are struggling with their current conditions and their identity, and if God remembers them, and if God even cares about them, because Genesis is a story about Israel. It's not a story, it's not a science textbook about how the world came into existence. It's a story of people who are trying to connect their current, which is terrible, with their ancient past. They weren't interested in reading about Noah and the flood because it's a great story with excellent principles to live by. I don't know, I mean, it's a great story. I don't think it has great principles. Be like, oh, if things aren't going your way, the answer is murder the world. Thanks, God. <laughs> I'll just take that and I'll just keep that for the next time that I want to go nuclear on someone. The answer is I can be just like God and murder everyone. No. Nor were they trying to find out what really happened. They weren't asking these modern historical questions. They were trying to understand their own relationship with God. And this is the story of Genesis. It's violent. It's really violent. Um, it's crazy. It's completely unbelievable. It's a bit choppy. Doesn't have the best flow. Somebody didn't do so good with editing. At times, it's just unbelievable and yet profoundly believable. And if you're like feeling kind of like overwhelmed by all this information, just Take a breath, okay? If you have questions, definitely come talk to me. But like, I want you to think about this idea that Genesis was not written for us. That it was written to a people who were struggling, a people who had been through so much trauma and were trying to reclaim their identity as a people group and as a faith community. And like next week, we're gonna, we're gonna start at the beginning, in the beginning. I should say. We're going to talk about creation. And we can ask the question, right? Did it happen the way it was written? Or maybe is that even the wrong question to be asking of the text? Is there better questions that will help us understand? 
think about Genesis. Let's try just for a few weeks, and I know this may be really difficult, <laughs> if you've grown up in a faith community that is like, this is our charter. This is what we believe. I know if you say Jesus as Lord, you're saved, but also if you don't believe in the six literal days of creation and that there was a boat big enough to hold tons and tons of animals, never mind how it smells, if, if you don't believe exactly these things, then you are not a faith person. If that's your experience, it's okay. You shake it out. I want you to think. I'm going to be presenting you with maybe some readings that you haven't heard of. Maybe some things that won't necessarily agree with what you've been taught or what you've grown up with. What I'm going to present to you is a readings that historical biblical scholars have arrived upon and they still have faith and they still have a connection to God, and it's not a struggle. We have to remember that Israel's story means to struggle. And so it's gonna be a lot of struggling. And maybe we'll be struggling, but God will meet us there too. We have two more songs, so I invite you to stand with us, and then I'll come back and give you a benediction after that, and then we'll have a most excellent Sunday.